This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Yield, Paraswap, and Cosmos. Stick around to hear more about them later in this episode. Hey everyone, what is up? I am Charlie Shrem. You are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to really understand how this movement came to be. You know, our industry seems like it's getting a lot, a lot more complicated. And I'm going to introduce my guest, Annabelle Huang, here in a second. Annabelle, thank you so much for coming on the show before I introduce you. Thank you so much for having me. The, the world is, is very rapidly changing. Growth is happening very fast. We're seeing a lot of craziness. Just the other day, my mother-in-law, like she lives on one block that has six houses. And within one week, four of the houses were knocked down to build new houses. Change happens fast. It doesn't happen slowly. It moves quick. These years that we're going through now, definitely accelerated by coronavirus, but all the seedlings were already there. We're going through like some, some rapid epic change. And on top of that, it seems very complicated. Crypto is complicated. A lot of people are trying to make money in it. They're trying to understand that as the world goes towards a uh, inflationary type of economy where uh, we're constantly having to chase the yield or protect our assets. How can we do that with crypto? So here on Untold Stories, I guess we try to, to, to unpack it and take some of these uncomplicated topics and make, make these complicated topics uncomplicated. And it's really exciting. The other, I was just actually talking this morning to, um, to a friend of mine, Thomas, who's in Austria. And he was traveling around the world. He was very fortunate that he was able to travel around the world during the coronavirus uh, whole pandemic. And I, I haven't left Florida during it. So I kind of haven't seen what's been going on outside of Florida. And Florida was its own thing during. But he was telling me, he said he just got back to Europe. And he said in Austria, everyone is angry. They're mean. There's hostility from all walks of life. There's no trust in the government anymore. There's, there's resentment. There's basically civil, you know, if they didn't think that coronavirus was going to kill them, they'd be out on the streets protesting because there's unrest. And a lot, of, a lot of the questions come back to like centralization versus decentralization in government. And Annabelle, you're, you're, you're born and raised in China, close to Hong Kong. You're living in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has been close to your heart, it seems like, your whole life. And I'm in, I'm in the U.S., and I was just talking to my friend Tom in, in Europe, in Austria. And these, are, these bring three sta you're staggering different places right now, what's going on. How were things in, in Hong Kong? Right before coronavirus, there was huge, like, democracy protests. A lot of people were moving towards their smartphone life. And a lot of people, and I want to really ask this question, a lot of people were saying, why do I need to be a citizen of this one place? Why can't I just live, be a citizen of the smartphone? Has that continued? Yeah, for sure. I think coronavirus, if anything, kind of accelerated of our lifestyle and in the virtual world. Right? And people didn't need to physically be in one place. Like so many of my friends uh, who used to live in New York or San Francisco left because they didn't need to go to the office anymore. And um, 
I mean, what's happening in Hong Kong, I guess, the rest of the world is is also the same. And I think, I mean, the economy in Hong Kong has been uh, impacted uh, pre-COVID, um, just given a lot of the political unrest. And, you know, that has definitely continued uh, into the last past two years. Um, and then the and then you look at what's going on in China, where, you know, that's arguably where it all started, but with the really tight government control and um, you know, I guess the the power of centralization, then then everything got under control really fast. Uh, people were able to to start travel um, and live um, normally compared to the rest of the world, uh, pretty much like since May um, last year. Versus, I guess what we're seeing in 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 Europe, like you mentioned, or, or even in in the in the U.S., where I think there's yeah, a, lot a lot of places of lockdowns, still, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then um, even Hong Kong, right? We there were some cases um, the past week, and the things are getting a little bit uh, out of hand. So you know the the, the curfews and, and everything are, are back in place. So it it seemed to me like if you look back at the last year, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. I wanted to just kind of use it as a segue. But if you look at uh, over the past years, a lot of people are going to look at what the best style of government is to deal with not just the economy and the people during normal times, but how do you deal with things when there are emergency situations or pandemic times? And I guess I'm going, I'm, I'm leading into a conversation that before crypto, governments have always had the tool of monetary policy to use as a lever system. You know, good times save and bad times spend. It's just like we have on our own household budgets. We, we do the same thing. One of the biggest fears is that governments will lose that monetary policy ability as Bitcoin and larger like crypto becomes this huge global financial ecosystem. And a lot of people said, well, that's what we got into this in the first place. It's probably why most people got into this, because they want to see that maybe governments don't do as good as a job in, in that monetary policy. But you have a place like China that's always been on the forefront of uh, how do you say wanting to understand, have all the data, have all the research and make largely centralized decisions. But at the same time, China has been one of the biggest advocates, proponents of, of, of crypto as a whole, pushing it forward. I, I, I never really understood that. I never understood like what's going on. Well, I wouldn't say they're uh, a big proponent of crypto per se. I think digital assets for sure. Um, just you look oh, at the past decade, now? right? <laughs> we can get into that. Um, I mean, the, the last decade we've seen just incredible growth in, in terms of um, smartphone coverage and and mobile, like people living on mobile in China. Everything, all the payments are done digitally through Alipay or WeChat Pay, and you know, people are already very used to digital payments. And then now China is um, putting a lot of effort into pushing out its own central bank digital currency, or DSAP, as they call it. And they've already rolled out in a few cities as trials, and people are trying to get, you know, understanding what blockchain is, because that's what this DSAP lives on, and understand what digital wallet all means. Um, so I, I think. It, it is quite interesting that way, but I think in, in terms of crypto assets, right, like the, the Bitcoin and, and Ethereum's 
um, of the world, um, they have effectively banned um, trading um, on, on those um, versus uh, the fiat onshore. So how do you do that? You know, I, I think, yeah, they just, you know, they wouldn't, they, <laughs> there were regulations that were put in place in 2017 and a lot of the um, on-ramp exchanges were shut down. So now people have to, um, the different ways to on-ramp has been quite uh, unstable and not as secure, um, but that's just the way it is um, in China. Hey, so I used to, I used to like ask questions. So you got your, I forgot to like read the introduction of you and everyone's like, who am I listening to? But I'll, (laughs) but I'll, it doesn't matter if you don't want to listen to my guests. And if you don't think there's someone worth listening to, then leave. You know, I don't want to always have guests that have big followings and are, you know, you want to have really just brilliant, brilliant people. But you started your career on the, on the, on the trading floor. You were working uh, as an FX structure and risk management at at, uh, Deutsche Bank and uh, you worked in banking. And then I would like ask my next question would be, well, tell me what it's like transferring into crypto world. What are you doing now as you used to do? But really, sure, you're yeah. kind of, but I'm not going to ask that question now because <laughs> you started the Amber Group and you have the Amber app for retail customers. And I think now my data is showing that you're managing over $200 million in assets, crazy growth in like four months, 40,000 registered users. And you're, you're essentially doing what a lot of these other companies done is stripping out all the middlemen of being able to to collateralize assets and then give people interest on that because you can then go ahead and relend it out. But I'm going to tell you right now, Annabelle, I don't know how it is in Hong Kong, but here, if I go to some, if I go to my friend right now and I say, I have a, the lowest risk opportunity possible that you can earn 5% a year, they're going to think it's a scam because banks <laughs> traditionally have always taught us, and I didn't know this until like a few weeks ago or a few months ago, that interest rates are tied to the government. So the government sets these interest rates that they give us in our banking and our bank accounts. But really, banks are for-profit companies. So what's really going on there? How much money are banks making off of every dollar that sits in our, that sits in my account every year? Well, I think it's just still two very different markets, right? The, the traditional finance, financial markets and the crypto markets. And that's why you're able to get a structural yield pickup in the crypto markets at this point, just because, you know, I think in the traditional markets, um, sure, I think the banks are, are taking a lot um, on um, the, the interest rates. But I think just because the market is very mature, there there is a lot of, um, there are a lot of cheap dollar funding sources um, and, you know, the Fed fund rates are low. Uh, we're living in a zero to low rate environment. So actually banks are having a hard time too, because it's hard for them to generate um, interest, especially on a far end where I have- The chase of the um, yield, right? The pension funds. Yeah, like for pension funds where you're looking at 30 years, but but you're really looking at 2% and that's not really enough um, for a lot of institutions. So banks are struggling too. And um but in in the crypto world, just because right people um, the the linkage between crypto and traditional uh, markets are not um, that solid yet, and people are it's very hard for people to find cheap dollar sources in the crypto markets, and that's why uh, for oh. people who can lend out right dollar assets, then they get a much higher yield um, on the back of it, and we're still benefiting for that. So. 
you know, that's why you can earn up to 11% per annum on Amber app with, you know, dollar stablecoin deposits versus probably 0% in your, in your bank account. Um, but that's, you know, still inherently, I guess, two different markets. One is fiat and one is when you put a digital wrapper around it and bring it into the crypto world. What are some of the type of things that you and some of your competitors can do with with that money? Most people don't understand that there are structured products out there right now that you can go out and get an immediate return. Like, for example, if you own a you know, shares of a company. I didn't know this too, but I can go out right now. And if a share has, if a stock has done an average of a certain percentage year over year over year, you can get like half that return in advance by give, like all these crazy products I'm learning that existed. I didn't even know. And really like 10 years ago, when I met someone in, in Bitcoin, I got all these advice 10 years ago when I got into Bitcoin that I should have done. And someone told me 10 years ago and said, when they have structured products, when you give Wall Street products that are crypto, then it'll be amazing. And it took 10 years to do it. No one realized that. What does that even mean? I mean, I, the, the, the derivatives market in crypto is still so new compared to what I used to do. Um, the effects derivatives market is huge, like multiple times of the spot market volumes versus here in crypto. I think it wasn't really until maybe what happened in March last year that people started to realize, oh, maybe going crazy levered on um, futures or perpetual swaps wasn't the best way to, to trade a market. And they started looking into um, different tools and you know, options market, et cetera. And then that got people um, looking into the structural products. And um, it is quite interesting because I think it is... Um, a tool for to either hedge your risks as a risk management or as a way to enhance your yield. Um, and it's quite simple, actually. Higher return always means higher risk. Um, so for people who don't mind taking a little bit more risk, they can monetize it through structured products and earn an outsized return. Uh, for people who are looking for perhaps more conservative products, then they earn probably just the kind of the fixed income products we've seen in the market. And you also ask, like, how, how do we generate these, these yields, um, yields um, through, through our products? I think a lot of people in the industry, um, they would do borrow lending against each other, either through retail to retail customers or um, in between institutions. Um, and that's something that we, we also do. In addition to that, um, Amber Group, really, we started more as a quant prop shop uh, in 2017. Yeah. So we really, the bread and butter of our business is generating yields through our um, market neutral arbitrage um, quant strategies. Um, And, you know, that because we're market neutral, we're basically long long volatility in a sense where um, if the market is more volatile, then there are more, you know, price inconsistencies or more room for arbitrage and we make return that way. So it's not like um, maybe some of the other funds are are discretionally long and they might suffer in a bear market. But now I guess in the bull market, everyone is, is, is pretty happy. DeFi, 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 you keep hearing me talk about it. And we know at the same time that the stock market is at record highs, but the economy is broken in recession. Government debt is off the charts. They're printing trillions of dollars. 
we need a new financial system, and I've been talking about it. We've all been talking about it, decentralized finance. We know that too. We know that there's like $40 billion in value sitting in all these DeFi protocols, and it's barely a year old. It's new decentralized finance and it's brilliant and it works. And there's a lot of money to be made in things like yield farming, being able to provide liquidity, but a lot of them are high risk. There's scams and rug pulls that are so common to investors. We don't want to repeat what happened a few years ago in the crypto space. But what if there was a way to access those DeFi yields in a safe and transparent way. Well, I had the CEO, Tim Frost, of Yield.app, my newest sponsor on the show. Listen to that show and check out Yield.app because here you have this team that is constantly filtering through all these DeFi investments. They're consolidating your gas fees and they're only investing in a select few that generate more than 20%. But their risk is not, they're not just investing in these tokens and waiting for them to do well. They're also providing liquidity. They're doing yield farming. All these low risk, high investment to make the uh, infrastructure more efficient and better. So not only you're investing in making money, but you're also helping to grow this ecosystem. Make sure you check them out at yield.app. That's yield.app. And listen to the untold stories with Tim Frost, the CEO. We have all these coins and tokens and they sit on all these different blockchains and we have to keep multiple wallets and different addresses and everything. And the only way to do it without having to do that is trust a centralized place like an exchange or a broker or an app that you use. Well, what if there was a way to do it without having to trust one different place in the ethos of crypto? Cosmos, my sponsor Cosmos that has been around for so long. They're actually following their original roadmap and being able to offer universal wallet, high node synchronization, inter-blockchain communication, bridging Bitcoin and Ethereum together and keeping it all on one wallet, being able to build on top of it and do the coolest things possible. Make sure you check them out at stargate.cosmos.network. You can play with all these different features. It's so cool and it's really bringing the next wave of crypto and adoption. If you really want to be ahead of everyone else and all your friends, make sure you understand the new technology that's coming out stargate.cosmos.network you're gonna love it the biggest problem with DeFi today as we know it is there are simply no aggregators or way to bring all of this information and data together so we can trade off of it we're going to uniswap and we're clicking sell 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 or buy 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 i mean imagine staying up till two o'clock in the morning just so you can make a trade the folks at paraswap my newest sponsor are doing exactly that they are the fastest and most liquid aggregator on the ethereum blockchain they've built a state-of-the-art algorithm that aggregates all the major decentralized exchanges in order to beat the market price they are willing to offer you on your first swap a 50 percent gas refund check it out in the show notes i mean there's no reason not to use power swap it's the same thing as using any of these other sites but you're getting a better price zero slippage better swap safer faster more secure uh what's what's the downside there is none that i could think of and you're getting your first swap 50 percent gas fees paid for it solves every problem that i could think of make sure you check them out they're my sponsors i love them and i love them even more that they're pushing crypto forward so are you telling me that the folks who are pushing the buttons, who are buying the millions and tens and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, of Bitcoin and other crypto, so these folks are not looking at it from like a, the price is going up perspective. They're looking at it from like, this is a very new, inefficient, volatile market. So we're going to make money when the price is going up or the price is going down. Money will just continue yeah. to pile into it as long as there's volatility and there's, there's volatility, 
as long as more money piles into it. I mean, until our industry gets a lot more mature and a lot more valuable because the more money that's into it, the less market moves you can do because the structured projects products create hedges against each other and the markets don't move as much. How long do you think yeah, that'll exactly. take? That's, um, you know, that's what we're seeing in, in traditional equities or FX market where prices are, you know, the price discovery is, is really mature and standard yeah. and, um, you know, the room for arbitrage is so much less than what we're seeing in crypto. And to your point, right, as more, um, more of these sophisticated traders and market participants and smart money started piling into the crypto market, then we're seeing the room for arbitrage is, is also becoming less and less. And people are finding different, um, different ways to, to chase yields. But it is still great for the industry because, right, that the pie gets bigger and there's the market cap gets bigger and then there's more liquidity. There are more people yes. getting involved. Yes, it's definitely um, better for the long run. And by this rate, right, I wouldn't be surprised if we really see, um, you know, I think even just where we were last year, right, March last year, compared to where we were, where we are today, that's. That's also something just so incredible. I would have never imagined. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a very mature crypto market much sooner than some people might expect. But it's not just going to be um, one country based and or continent based. And I don't even like to say the word like. So like for like, I don't like to to say that something started in Asia, for example, because I think that term has become like a very like an easy way for us to say like Asian instead of giving people like specific, like where they're from or whatever. So to rephrase the question, you look at something like DeFi that has really was pushed by like negative interest rates in places like Korea and Japan, but from like a, a, uh, a whole, uh, global perspective, how has really in like negative interest rates pushed that, forward because DeFi has started really in China and Korea and Japan. Some of the first projects and companies that came out of the space, even some of the earliest smart contracts were, were based on Ethereum coming out of China back in 2017 and 2018. You think that was a result of the fact that you couldn't, you couldn't make money in other places and even keeping your money in a bank was negative? Um, I would say that I think, um, again, not trying to, to mention Asia versus the rest of the world, but I think um, traditionally, like you said, right, they, it is pretty hard um, to, to, to earn, you know, to make money essentially in a lot of these places where like in Korea and Japan, where interest rates are, are very low. And, um, and I think a lot of younger, a lot of people in the younger generation are just looking for leverage and, and for yields um, and, and really being able to, to make it. Um, and I think they, they all found crypto just because of the volatility and, and potential for growth. And obviously China is, is part of this market too. And, and that's why we see really a, a boom in, in the participants um, in Asia, right? And in the 2017 boom. But I do think a lot of the innovation on the tech side, on product side is still coming from the US. Uh, but although I might be biased because I first got involved oh, in India. DeFi in, in New York. Uh, I'm telling so, you, India, 
It's got the best projects that, right now. I'm like investing true. in like three different projects coming out of India and Pakistan right now. It's insane. I think they're the next South Africa, India, Brazil, um, Argentina, uh, Mexico is big, right? Huge right now. Mexico is huge. Even Canada. A lot of countries in Africa. I'm seeing a lot of projects even out of Egypt, um, Botswana. I'm seeing projects out of I wish I saw more more out of Morocco, but really India's getting really big right now. That's where you're seeing a lot of the FUD right now too. It's like, oh, India's banning Bitcoin, but they're not. But that's where you see a lot of the FUD. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you mentioned all of these um, maybe Latin American or um, African countries, or where I think crypto for them or DeFi for them is survival. Is just, you know exactly. That's what they need. Um, it's not something that you punt around and kind of like a speculative asset. There is real demand they need um, needed to replace the banking system. And that's that's incredible because that's, I guess, what, where Bitcoin or, or the whole open and DeFi um, system is, is built upon. Right? It is the bank, the unbanks um, and, and all that. And we're, we're seeing that really happening. But for, I guess for the rest of the more developed world, then it is still kind of an asset um, for alternative investment sure. or, or even as speculation. When Tether first launched back oh, so long ago, like an Omni, Omni, it was really an experiment, like master coin Omni layer. It wasn't even, Ethereum wasn't even, when Tether launched, Ethereum wasn't even out yet. Like it wasn't even a thing. People don't realize this. Wow. Tether didn't even start to exist on Ethereum until I remember they started doing swaps in 20, I don't remember the exact date, so people are going to come after me. Like, you were wrong about this or whatever, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Tether was launched, and the reason it was so successful is because there was an ultimate utility for a non-volatile, stable crypto asset for a lot of reasons. Initially, we thought it was going to be because You needed a way to get in and out of crypto of Bitcoin because it was just Bitcoin without like going getting a wire like every time you wanted a trade, take a position, a wire transfer in, and then when you'd out wire transfer out. Imagine trading that way. Like imagine waiting for wires just to do trades. There wasn't a, there were no stable coins, no exchanges allowed you to hold dollar balances because especially after Mount Gox, that all became a big fiasco. Exchanges don't want to be depository institutions so then stable coins allowed for the de-risking of exchanges it allowed for the stable coin issuer to say we are the compliance we will be that and so stable coins ended up becoming a really good idea and usdc uh and usdt us us gusd and then you have all the ones you all the stable coins that are non-us based too there's so many of them now they're obviously being watched very very carefully by governments because central bank digital currencies are going to be 100% a thing. And we know that China has been one of the first countries really talking about this and planning on actually doing this. Remember I asked you earlier about monetary policy. Going back to that question too, how, how will they do it? How will they be able to create a cryptocurrency but maintain some sort of like monetary control? Well, I think that's the reason why they are looking to CBDCs, just because right, they're realizing if they don't do anything, then the likes of 
um, Circle, Coinbase, or even Facebook, they're gonna they're gonna push their own, right? And then it's gonna be widely adopted and used. And that's why they're all rushing to oh. to come out with with their own. And like you said, right? I think stable coins are it is de-risking the whole market. It lets people. I, I think that's probably what found actual use cases as kind of what Bitcoin was um, proposed to do, right? The peer-to-peer transfer network. And and now we're seeing just it's so much faster and cheaper to for me to, to send you USDC now than for me to send you a, a dollar wire transfer and going through the old SWIFT system. And I think that's what um, yeah. what people are going to realize and more people are going to use. And I think central banks, they have to adopt to, to this new trend of also ut- utilizing the underlying technology. So central um, banks will be the issuers, not the governments themselves, potentially. And in some countries, they are somewhat different yeah because for them right um they they're they now printing paper money but as the world they're all going in, into digital um or you know we're living in zoom meetings sure. living in the cloud and paying through digital payment methods and and for them right instead of printing physical money um they're just issuing a digital currency yeah because they're wrapping it yeah because up until now, throughout the history of time, society has never had a problem with the issuer of money. You look at King Alfred the Great, his money was used around the world, even though England was super small uh, back in the year 800 or whatever, because he was the issuer and everyone knew when he issued his coins, they were, one coin was same as the other one. Like the, there was fungibility, uh, non-fungibility or what, uh, fungibility, sorry. I was yeah, yeah, and you know throughout course of time, of course time. So it, so it's not the issuer that's the problem; it's the verification of scarcity that's the issue. It's like baseball cards. It's like we, we, you know, these companies that issue these Pokemon or baseball cards, we trust and respect them because there needs to be an issuer. But it's the fact that you can't verify that like chain of custody has always been the issue, and so that's why central bank digital yeah, currencies will work. It, it's Interesting. You you bring it. You bring up the the trust fact, the trust factor in this, right? And um, I think t- historically we've all believed in government and central banks, but I think then we start seeing what's happening this year, where where they're just printing massive amount of money, and and then people, I think the institutions definitely felt this way, and now also the retail investors realizing that the cash on their hand is just not worth. It's not going to worth as much anymore and they're having trouble understanding why the government has the absolute control or the central banks have mm. this kind of power over um the whole financial system and i think that's why uh, i think a lot of people are losing faith in the system a little bit and that's why we're seeing this incredible run in bitcoin uh, because it is very well positioned um as as a macro hedge right and in, in, in that sense and um yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that the traders in the markets are ha- having a hard time buying into what the feds are saying these days. And that's why you're seeing some very volatile moves in the U.S. rates market. And I think people are just kind of second guessing, like, do we really want to believe in the Fed or, or the central banks of the world? You bring up a very good point. And I want to ask you about stimulus very quickly, because if if like 
how do I give an example of a country without a... Okay, if, if Chile right now... Sorry, if Mexico right now... I want to use something with a little bigger of an economy. If Mexico right now did a, a stimulus package where over the last few years they printed 20% of all of the money that was previously in circulation now, so they basically like debase their currency by 20%. It wouldn't affect anyone outside of Mexico or unless you were holding Mexican dollars or you're buying Mexican exports or you're holding on to Mexican, whatever. The U.S. dollar is a reserve currency. The, the, so when you print stimulus, when you print money, it's not a debasement of the American worker. It's not saying that now the American worker has to, print, has to work 20% harder. But the, because the dollar is a global reserve asset, shouldn't the world have a much bigger say over American dollar printing, over American stimulus? How do you feel or how do your friends feel who are exposed to the American dollar, not by choice, just because the world is priced in it, that now everything is probably going to go up by 10 or 15% in price, but they're not getting the benefits of being American? Exactly. That's a great question, right? Everybody, myself included, a lot of my friends in, in Europe and Australia, they have to now they have to think about their FX exposure and, and how how do they hedge it and what do they need to do? Because obviously U.S. has has this power um, of, of do, the dollar being the absolute right, the, the king of, of the world and everything's priced in it. And um, even I think, you know, the banks in, in Australia have to raise dollar debt, you know, everything. Yeah. It, yeah. So I think given that, right, um, that's also what makes it interesting because, you know, we see Japan and Europe also printing massive amounts, but then it's not really affecting the global markets as much as uh, what we're seeing with dollar. And then with dollar kind of devaluating DXY being um, at multi-year lows and, and People are like it affects global trade um, as well. I think the implication goes so far beyond, and um, and that's why I think people are looking for, you know, what what are alternatives or should should I um, really look to Bitcoin as store of value and um, as a hedge of effects or or you know more inflation, more things. Um, and I think most of my friends in the U.S. I, I think um, they're more um, I guess worried about inflation, but for sure, my yeah, friends or colleagues, um, and other and globally, they're worried more than that. They're more about more than just that, right? Precisely, like you said, also the effects side. So you created a solution. You created the Amber app, and I'm on um, ambergroup.io, and you created a, a, a mechanism for for people to earn yields, and at the same time, you're offering subscriptions. So it seems like you're more towards the subscription structured product option. Are your are your users more like retail or are you seeking out potential institutions or family offices who like want to guarantee a year or two or five year out income? Um actually it's been it's been both. Um oh, cool. just this year has been crazy. Um traditionally we service more institutions and also high net worth individuals. But with the launch of our app, we're also expanding that into more retail markets and really aiming to bring the institutional grace services to more people globally. And I think when we're making the app, 
last year, we were already feeling like, oh, you know, we, we feel like a bull market is coming and, you know, there are going to be demand for something like this, for something that's easy to use for people who are new to crypto just to invest, uh, to buy their first Bitcoin and, and to deposit and earn passive yields on it. Um, so this year, I think we have seen like a double, We our, our retail user base has doubled um, from um, the stats you just mentioned. Um, and also from the institutional and high net worth individual side, a lot of them are really looking into Bitcoin as a hedge. Um, they're saying, right, the opportunity of not investing in Bitcoin is perhaps too high that um, they're not ignoring anymore and they're allocating, you know, maybe five to 10 percent. Yeah. Yeah. The infinite. risk reward is yeah. excellent. Yeah. So. Um, so the, no, sorry, you finish. You know, I was just saying, um, we're seeing a lot of them in inquiring about how do they really think about their portfolio. Um, you know, I think they've they've already have um, properties around the world, um, exposure to equities globally, and they're looking to the next um, asset class. And they're all allocating perhaps like five to ten percent of their cash in, into Bitcoin this year. I have a, a two more questions for you, and this is great because, like, every time I have a question, I want to like ask another question before the other. Question. <laughs> the the last question is related to advice that I want you to give to my listeners, but but the first question I just forgot. What were you just you were just saying? How did you lead end off the words you just said? Because I had a really great question. It was about, I guess, portfolio. Oh, or, yes. Yeah. Okay. So. So over the last few years, as I started investing and diversifying into different assets, I find myself spending a lot of time rebalancing. And then I found out that this is actually a very common thing. Anyone who has a net worth of over a few thousand dollars is spending their time, you know, even if it's once a month, rebalancing your portfolio. And that simply means if you have assets one place, you're moving, you're, you're rebalancing because sometimes things go up, sometimes they go down, the world changes, you know. Up until now, rebalancing is very difficult because assets not just are not all exist on one type of like if if all assets existed on the blockchain, not only could rebalancing be easier because every asset is represented by a token and you can resecured everything securitized, but you can have potential like companies like you who do the research and development better than me rebalance my portfolio for me using. So, so, so hear me out for a second. This is crazy, right? If I own a, a building that's worth a million dollars, I can then take that building and representative tokens in my wallet. And then all my rents can come in. And then at the same time, my house, if I own, if I, if I own loans that are lent out to other people, those can be represented as tokens too. And then you at the Amber Group, not right now, but eventually could work as a rebalancer and the only reason that could work is now because all these assets are represented as tokens. Where in the past, if I wanted to hire you as my rebalancer or, or manager, money manager, you'd have to be on the phone, you know, legal quick deeds and shit like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Is that the future we're going towards? I'm so glad that you bring this up because that's exactly the discussion we were having internally about our vision mark for the next two or five years and what it means to to to, to, to service, to provide crypto finance service. Um, I think the market, uh, this industry 
is innovating so fast and we are already Scary. seeing um, some of these assets being represented on chain, right? Kind of, you know, the dollars on chain, some of these um, non-fungible assets on chain. And, and we think, and there are a lot of people working on the um, tokenized uh, solutions right? by bringing more real world assets on chain. And that was actually what I spent a year working on at, at AirSwap or slash fluidity. Um, and I think that is going to, to, to be the future of, of basically all assets bringing on chain. And we want to be at the forefront of servicing um, people and really helping provide all the solutions for, for on-chain assets. And like you said, right, I think portfolio is a big thing. We're, we're going to launch a lot of these rebalancing, portfolio rebalancing or you know, re, uh, diversification features uh, in our product suite. But we really need to be uh, innovative as the market goes, as the industry grows. Um, and and I'm, we're confident, I'm confident that, that we can do that. And I think there are so many, so many talented and sharp people in the industry um, making innovations and changes. And I think we'll eventually get there. There are a lot of amazing innovations and there are a lot of companies like yours and then you have a lot of uh, scams and frauds as the industry grows. So right now, there's a, there's a lot of attraction towards uh, yield, towards like earning interest and stuff like that. What are like one or two simple things that if someone's going downloading an app or a website that they can look at and know that it's this is a red flag? I think, again, first of all, I think everybody um, in or out of crypto needs to understand uh, a simple kind of math it's just higher return equals higher risk and if you see something that looks too good to be true it probably is and you have to figure out what where the risk comes from um you know people people are really uh being people a lot of people are attracted by the really high, high returns yeah apys right from from DeFi mining but they didn't understand the yield farming uh represent a lot of risks right there are smart contract risks um market risks etc um, so I think it's important to do your own research and understand what your own risk and return profile is, and then look into these products accordingly. Again, if yeah, the return looks too good to be true, it probably is. Annabelle, how can my listeners follow you? Uh, what's your Twitter and the, your website and everything? Sure. Um, you can find more information about the Amber Group at ambergroup.io. You can also follow Amber Group on Twitter at ambergroup underscore io. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Annabelle Huang as well. Who, who's Amber, by the way? <laughs> there's no oh, there's no Amber. Amber. I know, but people actually think uh, my name is Amber these days just because <laughs> I talk about it too much. Yeah, why and not? I'm literally using everything Amber. So. Oh, so that's yeah, that's you could make your middle name Amber or something for fun. I don't know, like. I was going to make my middle name Satoshi just for fun. All of this. <laughs> Thank you, Annabelle, so much for That's coming perfect. on the show. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time and listening and watching Untold Stories. Yeah, without you guys, I'd be nothing. And without my amazing, amazing produ producers at Blockworks Group, blockworks.co, uh, they produce over 20 other podcasts that are run by my friends, also my, my writers and producers. Uh, you guys know who you are. You guys are amazing. And without you, the show wouldn't be here. I love you all. And to all my crypto listeners and fans, 
strength in numbers. I am Charlie Strem. Talk to you later.